You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. Just me and Mr. Parks today. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, that's great. I'm so, full of B vitamins. Ooh, that's the best kind of vitamin. <laughs> vitamin. They buzz in your tummy. That's exactly what you want to have uh, in there. I want to thank everybody who came out to our live last podcast on the left show in Chicago. What a great time. Drunken mayhem. Way too many shots of Malort. Ugh. Good. They'll make you violent. No one should drink that stuff. Stop giving it to us. Please, God. Uh, this episode of Abling's Top Hat is uh, is desperately needed. Yeah. All of us have to vent and get this past week out of our brains in order to uh, in order to, uh, to just have a nice dinner, you know? <laughs> um, and if you want to vent, please write into the Dumpster Fire chats. I just released part two. Email me at benk721 at gmail.com and try to keep it blurby and you can vent out there and I'll, and I'll read them. And those have been really an, a, an exciting thing. Yeah, people are loving them, man. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it's it's me recording in my closet, so it's, it's a little <laughs> bit different. A lot of times I'm getting messages being like it sounds like you're crying and be like I'm just looking at my jackets and and I'm and so uh, I'm so in awe of my Jose Bank collection that sure I'll get a little weepy sometimes but speaking of clothes we also finally have the Abe Lincoln's Top Hat t-shirts yes um, so please go to uh, Cave Comedy Radio I believe it's ba- uh, backslash merch it's just cavecomedyradiomerch.com you can Perfect. get a t-shirt of the skull of Abraham Lincoln puking out the American flag absolutely beautiful shirts and we're gonna have just a shirt with the logo on it as well if you have to go pick up your children from school uh, and you don't want to get arrested or having your kids taken away. Um, All right, so let's just start with the story that we decided to begin with, Donald Trump uh, and Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon, of course, he's on the National Security Council. Uh, Donald Trump theoretically put him on this council. However, Donald Trump did not realize what he was signing when he was signing it, which is more horrifying than any Freddy Krueger nightmare you could possibly have. Uh, the man is uh, more dangerous than we thought because he's not even reading the executive orders that he's putting through. Well, this is somewhat in line with some of the predictions that we had a few months ago. Is that We said that Donald Trump, even though, and a lot of Donald Trump supporters as well, so they're like, okay, he doesn't have any experience whatsoever being a politician, but he's probably going to surround himself with people uh, that are, have a lot more experience sure. in government. That's what we thought. Well, that's what we were hoping for. That's anyway. what we were yes. hoping for. And now we are getting 
somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who is doing all the heavy lifting. Unfortunately, that person is Steve Bannon. Right. The worm tongue himself. He was on the cover of Time magazine. Donald Trump was very upset with that because he wants to be on the cover of Time magazine, not weird alcoholic <laughs> Steve Bannon. Uh, and, and so it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Steve Bannon, uh, it doesn't matter who they have around him uh, in the cabinet or, you know, in the Senate or, uh, you know, in the Congress that are might be reason, reasonable or rational people because it seems like Steve Bannon, uh, Bannon has a firm grasp uh, on the role of worm tongue. Yeah. And uh, he is not really uh, exposing Donald Trump to opposing views whatsoever. And we got to say we are not comparing Donald Trump to Theoden. No, apparently he was very good. <laughs> He's my favorite character yes. in Lord of the Rings. We are definitely not comparing Theoden to Donald Trump. <laughs> but- we would never do that. Not here on this show, we would never do that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think a worm tongue is a, a very good comparison when you're talking about Steve Bannon. Right. And, of course, uh, Donald Trump, you can- Who's Sauron? Who is Sauron? <laughs> That's a good question. Um Donald Trump, you can imagine his ego is taking a bit of a hit with all the Steve Bannon coverage. Of course, Karl Rove being referred to as Bush's brain. Uh, this happens. Uh, you know, McNamara, of course, being sort of the uh, the, the creator of the Vietnam uh, War and things like that. Presidents often don't like to be discredited for their intelligence, mm-hmm. and specifically not presidents like Donald Trump, which I think is why he is so upset when he sees uh, Bannon on the cover and when he sees the thousands and thousands of people protesting against him. We're going to get into the uh, into the legality of the uh, seven-country uh, ban, the so-called Muslim travel ban, uh, a little bit later on here in the episode, yeah, coming up very soon. But I want to talk a little bit about Sean Spicer and this hilarious notion that all the thousands of people protesting against Donald Trump and uh, one of his policies, such as the ban, and a series of other things, are paid protesters. I've been an actor for a decade in New York City, it is hard to get money. Yeah. And very difficult uh, to pay, if you are somebody, if you are a producer, to pay thousands and thousands of of, uh, of background actors. Do they fill out W-2 forms? How does it even, <laughs> or do they audition? Is there like, is there is there random, like, how do you write on cardboard? Do you write on it well? Can you say, can you scream dump Trump for me? <laughs> yeah. If dump there was Trump. <laughs> oh, that's not good enough. I'm sorry. You can't be paid. You can't be a paid protester. And this is one of the great ironies that no one really talks about is Donald Trump, when he was running for the presidency of the United States, one third, this is according to uh, a university study, an Oxford University professor named Philip Howard. They always sound like washing machines. (laughs) Professors have very distinct names. Philip Howard, it sounds like a a fully functioning light bulb company. Uh, He found that 33% of pro-Trump traffic was driven by bots and highly automated accounts. And of course, Hillary Clinton used 22% of uh, pro-Hillary treats came from bots paid for by the campaign. Mm -hmm. So Donald Trump, the irony of him talking about people who actually put their feet on the ground and went out and actively protested, the audacity for him, or Sean Spicer in this case, who is the mouthpiece of of Donald Trump. By the way, every time Sean Spicer gives a press conference, Donald Trump is sitting there loading a gun, watching it. (laughs) Sean Spicer, you can tell when he gets caught in a a trap because Donald Trump had tweeted something that is so ridiculous, such as the so-called judge Mm -hmm. that we'll get into uh, regarding uh, the Muslim ban, a whole series of other things. Uh, Sean 
Sean Spicer is just like he is watching. Yeah, and if so I make is a Kellyanne mis- Conway. Well, uh, yeah, although she's been quite discredited with her Bowling Green massacre. Yeah. Uh, I guess lie. We're just going <laughs> to say a lie. It. No it's mistake. a bold face lie. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's one of the funny things with this administration and Donald Trump cannot real cannot look at reality for what it is. And they have to always have an excuse. You know, a lot of people were wondering, how is Donald Trump not going to recognize the thousands and thousands of people protesting and how he how he doesn't recognize it is just completely um, make it an issue of paid actors paid for by Soros and therefore nullifying their their dissent and their voices. I mean, we know a lot of actors and hell, a lot of our friends, a lot of people here on CCR go out for a lot of auditions. Yes. We would have heard about the protester cattle call. Oh, absolutely. I would have been there. <laughs> yeah, we would have we would yeah. have heard about this, but the problem with this uh, is that Trump's most ardent supporters that study that you just cited, it comes from a university, a liberal university, and they're just going to say well, they, fake they, news. Well, they All, did clarify that 22% was also for Hillary. They did, and this we, yeah. and we knew this was this was actually this isn't even a diss necessarily on Trump. This is he saw new media and he knew how to monetize it and he saved a lot of money. Yeah, but they're still going to say this is fake news like, "Oh, right. 22% were Hillary. Well, why is Trump's higher?" They're just putting that in to make it sound real. Because sure. there's actually a spokesman came out just a few days ago and said that they will keep repeating the words fake news until they stop attacking the president. Until it becomes real, of course, Donald Trump in one of the most atrocious tweets of his presidency, uh, which is something we have to say now. Um, <laughs> it talk, talks about how all negative polls are fake news. Yeah. But I would assume positive ones, those are legit. That's real. <laughs> That's good news. And of course, Sean Spicer, uh, SNL got him really good with an impression from uh, Melissa McCarthy that also apparently riled up the president. Um, you know, it is it is unbelievable what gets under this guy's skin. And let's stick with media for a second, because, of course, the media is really one of the major um, cornerstones of Trump's campaign. Without all the free media coverage, millions and millions of dollars in free media coverage, I don't think he would be sitting, strangely, in the Oval Office right now. Um, and so Trump just had an interview with Bill O'Reilly, and it was a fascinating interview because Bill O'Reilly basically went against every single thing that Bill O'Reilly has said his entire life regarding American exceptionalism and how this nation is superior specifically to the Russians. Uh, They were discussing the Russians and Donald Trump's uh, relationship with Putin, which, Marcus, you told me earlier, MSNBC had a 2013 interview with Donald Trump where Trump was discussing his great relationship with Putin. And I quote, I do have a relationship, and I can tell you that he's very interested in what we're doing here today. When he was asked about Mm. that in a later interview last year, he said, what do you call a relationship? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he I said, don't know. He said, what do you call a relationship? Uh, I mean, he treats me with great respect. This is sort of his version of when Bill Clinton was discussing what the word is means. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. What do you call a relationship? Yeah, what do you call a relationship when he flat out said we do have a relationship? Right. So in this interview, they're talking about uh, the Russians and uh, the annexing of Crimea, uh, what's happening in the Ukraine, um, just the fact that Putin murders the vast majority of, uh, of his political uh, opponents. I mean, Donald Trump in this country... Donald Trump was able to do away with his political opponents by calling them silly, 
playground names. Mm-hmm. In Russia, they poison them with plutonium. <laughs> it's, it's just a bit of a different nation. Yeah. Although this is one of those, and we'll get into it now. So then Donald Trump, uh, when discussing this with Bill O'Reilly, was like, well, you think America is so innocent. You don't think we've ever done anything wrong. This is sort of the, uh, the crux of his argument. And this is one of those funny situations when I listen to Donald Trump where he's not entirely wrong. We have a lot of blood on our hands in this country as well. Which is uh, such an ironic thing because that is something that the left has been saying for a long time, and that is something that the right hates the left for. Exactly. Of course, we have to go back to Obama's so-called apology tour where he simply went to foreign nations and said America has a new new, um, president in town, and we're not going to be quite so hawkish, and we're apologizing for blowing up the Middle East the way we did. Sorry for the 100,000 dead Iraqis. You know, it wasn't... uh, And now we have a president, and and the right just... I mean, they made him seem as if he was... Uh, you know, Karl Marx himself. I mean, they <laughs> pretended like Barack Obama hated this country. They were so uh, pissed off that he threw America under the bus. And now we have a sitting president who believes that the American uh, ideal is just as uh, good or as bad as the Russian. Well, I think this is more reflective on Trump's supporters than it is on Trump himself, because like you said, he's right. I understand that completely. When he's right, I have to give him credit that he's right. But his supporters are the exact same people that would send all these forwarded emails saying that Obama hates America. Oh, absolutely. And have Obama dressed as, you know, in his Muslim garb and yeah. a whole series of things. Uh, there was that, that was a real picture. His father, Obama, went over uh, to Kenya and, and put on traditional garb, and they made it seem as if he had, you know, converted and was the next uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. I mean, it was absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah, I mean, the, the pretzels that Trump supporters are the, the convictional right. pretzels that they're having to make is insane. They are bending mm-hmm. on every single principle that they have ever had. The, and not to mention the religious right that's bending every single principle that they've ever had to get their Trojan horse into the White House, Mike Pence. Right. You know, all of these people, I mean, they're just proving that their convictions are nowhere near as strong as they said they were. Of course, I'm not saying well, that the left's convictions are extremely strong, but what I'm saying is that the right has always prided itself on its convictions that they are yeah. the uh, they are the po- they are the party of morals that's what they've been selling themselves on the moral majority they mm-hmm. have been selling themselves on that for decades oh, absolutely. now and now they're showing themselves to have none of that they have yeah. no conviction they have no morals because they are following this person blindly because he might give them something well, that they want and this is the difficult part if you are a republican if you are uh, you know a paul ryan or a kevin mccarthy or a john mccain uh they this is only what we're in week three of this entire uh, situation <laughs> they are really at their wits end already yeah. and we don't know exactly what they're going to be able to do uh you know because we don't forget, especially recent history. I mean, 2012, Mitt Romney, when he was running against Obama, obviously, wrote a book, No Apologies. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's a Mormon. All they do is apologize. <laughs> Mormons, I mean, if you do anything wrong, you got to apologize. Yeah. Um, and, but that was the really just one of the massive attack ads and one of the main complaints that the right had against Obama was that he was, uh, you know, theoretically, or he didn't, you know, symbolize what American exceptionalism was supposed to be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, even uh, – and then we have Donald Trump now, of course, just straight up 
comparing us or equating us uh, to Russia and our bad deeds versus Russian bad deeds being on an equal playing field, which is absolutely astonishing to hear a sitting president talk and uh, to say and and talk about. And we know for a fact, uh, of course, if he was a Democrat, they would demand an impeachment uh, or even, you know, I mean, it it would just be absolutely insane. Easily. I mean, Putin bombed an entire apartment building to get Russia into uh, which war was that? The Chechnyan war. Well, that was that. No, that was to get him elected. Uh, So then, of course, excuse me, that's right. uh, So he he bombed uh, the hotel, blamed it on the Chechnyans, ran on a platform condemning the Chechnyan terror attacks. And then, of course, uh, it comes out that he was the one who set the entire thing up. And it's really a classic political maneuver. Um, Create a problem, run on the campaign to solve that problem. And that was a lot of the complaints that people had when it came down to Hillary Clinton, uh, when she discussed, you know, crime and over imprisonments and our incarceration rates being, uh, you know, vastly too large, 25% of the world's uh, imprisoned people and and we have 5% of the world's population, really horrible stuff. And they hearkened back to some of the policies that she um, championed for in the 1990s. And I think a lot of people saw that as a, uh, you know, political hypocrisy, but that is really 101. Create a problem, run on the campaign to solve that problem. And hopefully no one catches on that you were the instigator of the problem in the first place. I mean, false flag operations. America is no stranger to these. Of course, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, uh, the false flag incident that got us into the Vietnam War. Uh, And some people could say that, you know, of course, yeah, let's go ahead and go for it. Let's go for 9-11. You know, we're we're of the opinion that 9-11 was allowed to happen. Uh, Or at least I'm of the opinion that some some people who knew, some people who could have stopped it didn't stop it in order to get us into another Middle Eastern war. And again, I mean, that we're not, we are definitely not innocent of these crimes. Saudi Arabia is still not on the terror watch list when it comes to the seven states that aren't uh, allowed to travel here. Although, of course, now they are allowed to travel here because uh, there has been a there is a stay on the travel ban. And so we can move to that right now. I mean, it is interesting, though, these these sort of, you know, I do think about uh, Trump and, uh, you know, his uh, his lack of of desire for knowledge you mm-hmm. know when he does sign these random things and he doesn't even for Steve Bannon again with the Security Council and stuff like that it, it hurts me to have a president who doesn't enjoy getting in the books and understanding the policies that he's putting forward and now we're seeing the ramifications of course with this um, Muslim travel ban and we'll get into some of that here in a second but you know as uh, Barack Obama was uh, so significant during the month of February because he was, you know, the ultimate example of of upward mobility. And you can be white or black or, um, you know, not a woman apparently, um, <laughs> but uh, and you can still become president of the United States. You can come from a and, family with a single mother. Yeah, and it, made, it gave Black History Month an extra like oomph to it, a nice little like, wow, look at that. We're actually we can see um, where our progress has taken us. And again, of course. Obama made some horrible decisions and things like that. But Trump, I think October is going to be a good month for him because it's like Halloween, (laughs) you know, not just because he's orange like a pumpkin or whatever, just because it's like October will be the month where it's like, it's kind of cool to have a President Trump because it's scary <laughs> as hell. And you're walking through your Dwayne Reeds and like the, everything's a skeleton mm-hmm. and it's just macabre all around. And then you're like, President Trump fits right in. He'll be a great October president. 
That's what I believe. So uh, the it's now Washington State versus Donald Trump, and uh, this went to the Ninth Circuit, uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, Court. There, the judges are William Canby, Michelle Friedland, and uh, Judge Clifton uh, being Clifton being a Bush appointee. The other two coming in under Obama, and uh, so they they. They had their first, uh, you know, hearing, and all the lawyers called in. They couldn't. They couldn't bother to get off their asses and go uh, to the Ninth Circuit District or the Ninth, uh, Ninth Circuit uh, Courts. They all called in like it was just a bizarre conference call where, you know, they were trying to decide what they wanted for lunch. Uh, <laughs> but meanwhile, we have individuals who religious whose religious freedoms are being stripped away on a regular basis. I just feel like this was a large enough issue for the lawyers to show up. Yeah, as opposed to treat it like they were ordering something through a Hardee's drive-thru, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, so it looks like what's going to happen, and of course, the defense is um, the pro-Trump uh, individuals in this case, it looks like they're just trying to sort of get a 50-50 break, mm-hmm. where they want the circuit court judges to, they'll, they'll allow them to say, okay, if you've been to this country before, you're allowed back in. If you have a spouse in this country, you're allowed here. If you have a visa or a green card, you can be allowed here. I think they want to get it so the only people that the ban holds up for is people who have never been here before and they can never come here. And then they also had an argument, uh, the pro-Trump case um, also had the um, argument regarding is this a religious, is this, you know, um, is this solely based on religion, which is obviously completely unconstitutional. And they were talking about how in those seven nations, those seven countries make up 15% of the Muslim population worldwide. So because of that, it's not a Muslim ban. It's not... um, it's it, it doesn't target one religion over another, although you could make a strong case that if one person is targeted because of their religion, regardless if it's one or one million, it is still, uh, you know, unconstitutional. But that's sort of where Donald Trump's team is coming in on this. I just realized something. This is a negotiation. Yeah, it's a negotiation. I mean, that, this is what it yeah. is. You asked. Well, for it's the- because they didn't do it in the fucking first place. Because he didn't go to Congress, where all this stuff is supposed to be hashed out. You asked- so now we have to do it in the courts, like Roy Cohen would want. Trump is asking for the moon, and he's getting the sky. I mean, this is something that people said that the Democrats should have done with health care, is that you ask for something absolutely ridiculous, something that could never possibly happen, and you get about half of that. You go way That's too it. far. This is, a tr- this is a business tactic. I mean, people this are talking like they w- this is what he does. This is what these people, mm-hmm. I mean, really? And to give him credit, this is exactly what he said he was going to do. This is exactly how he said that he was going to run this country. This is exactly uh, how he said, this is exactly, this is why you elected Trump. You elected him to be a businessman. Uh, and and that's and exactly how he is governing. His businesses have, you know, they have a long history of legality and being in the courts. That's his whole thing. Again, uh, Cohn, his number one guy, I think we talked about this on the show last time, didn't we? He was McCarthy's number one guy. Uh, no, Roy, I don't think we did. Okay, Roy Cohn is, I'm sure people know, but for those that don't know, or for those that do, it doesn't matter, um, he worked with uh, McCarthy. He was the one who did the whole Red Scare. He was Joseph the one McCarthy. Who, yeah, the Woo. one who was the one who was you know purging the communists out of office. And he had a briefcase full of names. It turned out to be full of vodka, which is actually <laughs> a, a communist drink of choice. That's a good old Wisconsin enough. boy. Oh, good. He was one of our best ones. You know, we have a couple of interesting politicians. Paul Ryan not being the worst out of all the uh, the, the individuals who have made their way through uh, in Wisconsin. Duffy, for example, from the real world. Sean Duffy looks like kind of a Duffy, if you know what I'm saying, in a, in a few recent uh, 
press conversations. But so Cohn was Trump's number one guy. And this is where Trump got the notion to be a counterpuncher. This is uh, a man who was uh, so malicious. I was talking to my former boss. He's a producer, big time producer. And he actually got to meet Cohn and his father uh, was actually on a list that Cohn had. <laughs> uh, and they it was not a good list to be on. No, no. And he was like, he was like, uh, and he told me his father, total peacenik, absolutely like total dove. He's like, if you get a chance, kill him. <laughs> like that's how bad this Cohen guy was, and uh, you know now he's deceased, obviously. But um, and so that's that was Trump's mentor. You know, a lot of times people talk about Saul Alinsky, who, ironically enough, is somebody that Steve Bannon has modeled his approach after. And Saul Alinsky, going back to what you were saying, Marcus, when it comes to this bizarre juxtaposition now with the right hanging out with WikiLeaks, befriending Putin, hanging out, uh, not um, not uh, disavowing Steve Bannon, who follows Saul Alinsky. It is this bizarre world that's topsy-turvy, and it does play into that notion of the illusion of choice and the fact that all of these people are playing for the same team and they're just giving us a different quarterback. I mean, people talked about Obama. They used the word socialist with him as if it was the absolute worst word that you could use to describe a person. Bannon has come right out and said, I'm a Leninist. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It doesn't make any, I mean, it's just, I mean, this is American politics has become a, American politics in the early part of the 21st century has become a case study in cognitive dissonance. It Mm. is insane how this is working. It's insane how this is all playing out. And the right is going to have a lot of explaining to do in the the year 2020, um, because I would not be surprised if we can even make it four years with this administration, uh, if he's not primaried by somebody like a Ted Cruz, who I thought actually did a very good job yesterday against Bernie Sanders. That was a great debate, uh, and we could talk about it at length, but uh, you know, it was about health care, and I think it was really fun to see people pay attention again um, to these issues. Yeah. And it was the more substantive debate, uh, debate substantive debate yesterday on CNN that we got the entire uh, election cycle, which I thought was kind of actually disheartening. So Cruz came out, uh, he came out reasonable, huh? Well, they definitely agreed on one thing that I absolutely agree with, which is you should be able to buy health care across all 50 states. I don't yeah. understand. We live in a nation of options. We have multiple options for toothpaste, for toilet paper, for uh, every shoes, socks, whatever the hell you want, different you know, d- different flosses. I don't know why I'm so focused on and oral teeth. hygiene yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point in time. But uh, it is strange to me that we don't have a, a solution, a huge buffet of options when it comes to health care. And so that was actually something they agreed on. Obviously, they disagreed with single payer. And, and, you know, other sort of more core issues, of course, uh, uh, Cruz wanting to more put it in the private sector and allow industry and uh, and, uh, you know, corporations and things like that to have control over it. And uh, Bernie Sanders wanting to have the government to have control over it. I think Bernie had a bad mo- moment when he looked at a small business owner who herself didn't have health care could not afford to pay her 49 employees health care and sort of chastised her a little bit and constantly sort of um, mocked the fact she had a hair it was a she was a hairstylist in in Texas and he sort of made it seem as if that wasn't a normal business or something well concern either way but but then of course Cruz you know fumbled on a few things as well well concerning that debate at least they agreed on something because that's where compromise happens you know you yeah. have that one thing that you agree on and then you work from there and that I think is it's been the problem for the last eight years and I think it's going to continue to be the problem where Democrats and Republicans aren't allowed 
to agree on anything. You know, yeah. they just aren't allowed. And, and I, yeah. it's going to be the exact same thing where, you know, Republicans, the reason why they weren't allowed to agree with anything that Democrats were going to try to put through was because the Republican would get creamed in the primary because, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. hated Obama so bad. We're going to get the exact same thing with Democrats where they're not going to agree with anything that Trump said because if they do, they're going to get creamed in the primaries because yeah. the left hates them, they're hates gonna, Trump so bad. Certainly going to be obstructionists uh, here for the next couple of years. Um, Cruz did, you know, Bernie did make a good point when Cruz was discussing, ex- uh, you know, just access, right? Uh, you can have access, but if you can't afford it, then you, theoretically, then you don't have access. So it was a, it was a good back and forth. And, and Cruz and Bernie also both agreed uh, the healthcare industry has about doubled their profits. They made about $15 billion last year. It was about $7 billion uh, in 2008. And of course, it went up under uh, Bush as well. Uh, but there is no denying that. And they both agree that it is bad that the healthcare industry has been able to flourish so well under Obamacare. Of course, they basically wrote the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no way that they weren't getting theirs. And they certainly got more than their fair share of money. Um, but in premiums going through the roof. So it, they both agreed it had to be fixed. And I thought that was a good thing. And like then, that. you know, once you get to completely abolishing it, I'm against that. But once you get to we, we must, you know, go go further with it. I'm also against that. You have to meet in the middle on these things. And there were about four moments of, of true compromise that if they continue on in that direction, uh, they can do some major things. But I have a feeling they won't. Um, <laughs> but yeah. you were saying, Marcus, interestingly enough, about obstructionism. The Republicans not allowing Merrick Garland, then to not giving Merrick Garland a vote. Of course, Barack Obama, Supreme Court justice choice. He would have filled up the bench. He would have filled uh, Scalia's seat. And uh, now, of course, uh, we've we've got Gorsuch, Gorsuch up there uh, under Trump. The interesting thing here regarding the uh, the Muslim travel ban. So it go. Now it's at the federal level, and uh, if they uh, if they say this is unconstitutional, it goes back to the lower courts. The lower courts decide again. If they decide it's unconstitutional, it goes up to the federal level. Then obviously after that, it would go to the Supreme Court level. In case of a tie, which is extremely possible in this situation, uh, it goes back to the federal level, and that is where it's decided. Uh, and so whatever their conclusion was, which obviously would be make it unconstitutional, because that's the only reason it would go up to the Supreme Court, the travel ban would be done away with. And, uh, and Donald Trump... Trump would uh, would have his first uh, legal loss of the, of the administration. Yeah. So it's one of those great ironies because we don't know. Perhaps Merrick Garland would have deemed it constitutional, or at least parts of it constitutional. And now that it's going to be decided um, in the if it's if it's decided in the federal courts, they might not get anything at all. Yeah, they really they might not. I mean, the question is here though: is that is how long is this going to take to go well, back and forth? Is it going to take long enough where Gorsuch does get it on the Supreme Court, in which case the travel ban will certainly stand. So uh, they they seem like they want to get it done fairly quickly. This uh, the Ninth Circuit Court wants to get it done by the end of the week, send it back down, and obviously you know just things move at a at a glacier pace. Yeah. Although nowadays glaciers are moving a lot faster, <laughs> so maybe we'll have to change that analogy at a uh, at a uh, at a. Chris Christie pace, (laughs) extremely slow, (laughs) slow pace. Um, So it's fascinating to see, you know, what's going to happen with it. And it just goes down. It comes down to negligence and the just total lack of foresight to what this policy is going to look like 
in action from the Trump administration and from the people who just shoehorn or who just pushed it through without talking with uh, Congress and without talking to the people who need to know. They said we only spoke to people who were in, in uh, who had the need to know, but they absolutely did not because I don't think they understand how government works, which is of course why Steve Bannon is now sitting on the National Security Council. So it is. Uh, I mean. It's going to be a, a fascinating couple of weeks here. I am really happy that people are paying attention. Uh, that is one of the good side effects of the Donald Trump administration. People are focused more than ever before on you know what were once considered boring political, um, you know, just boring politi- politics, everyday politics, and uh, almost um, you know custod- not custodial, but uh, what do you call it? Paperwork duties. Um, Clerical. Clerical, yeah, basically just like clerical things. But now people are paying attention to those clerical things because those clerical things are being done by a custodian. There we go. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Well, uh, one of the possible good things that might come out of the Trump presidency is that he could end up breaking the current gridlock that we have right now because – so oh, when you they say might gridlock? No, <laughs> gridlock. <laughs> General Stockdale, just the best. Well, that uh, he might actually end up breaking this collective gridlock because there might be a collective hatred for Donald Trump and the way that he does things. You might actually have sure. the Republicans and the Democrats working together because Trump's support, Trump's base, is shrinking all the time. I don't think that Trump's base is growing, uh, and I think if they have a common enemy, if they have something to unite, something to say like, look, this is what happens when someone who doesn't have any experience whatsoever in governance gets into power. You need people who know what they're doing. We know what we're doing. Please, they have to ask for the Americans' trust back. That's what they have to do. If they can regain the trust of the American people, then I think that things will be much better. But I don't know how they're going to regain that trust. I really don't because it is so amazingly damaged. The people's trust in Congress and the Mm -hmm. people's trust in uh, politicians is so ridiculously damaged that I really hope that they can come back from this on, you know, the merit of fighting against Donald Trump or fighting against incompetence, fighting against ignorance, because that's what elected Donald Trump. Okay, so yeah, and just, you know, to give some some numbers here, this is according to a uh, constant slash political poll. 47% of voters currently approve of Trump's job performance down from 49% in the same poll uh, pre- in the from the previous week. Trump's disapproval ratings has also uh, increased from 41% to 46%, so those aren't good. Trump, and now, keep in mind, three weeks in, most presidents get a little le- leeway. They yeah, get, you know, every president gets leeway. At least over 50%, because at the end of the day, like we talk about, you know, on November 9th, uh, we have to, this is our president now, and even though it was Donald Trump, we still said we got to give him a chance. And uh, and that's how much the American people, uh, they have faith in their government, and they have a patriotism, uh, and they don't want to see the executive branch totally fall off the tree and, and uh, you know, drown in a river somewhere. They want to see it succeed because theoretically then all of us succeed. So now Donald Trump is down again. Yes. Uh, disapproval ratings are up to 46 percent. And the poll found that more than half of voters, 55 percent, either approve or strongly approve of Trump's travel ban, which is interesting because you don't hear a lot um, of, from the supporter side of it. And I don't think it's I, I think that is because, you know, Trump he did run on a campaign of fear, and that's still exactly what they're doing right now. I think Donald Trump 
almost I don't even want to say it because I think it is uh, it's almost too nefarious but if a terror attack happens on US soil from someone uh, in the Middle East, regardless if it's from one of those seven countries, Donald Trump will feel vindicated. He will. And that's why he said if there is a terror attack, we have to blame it on the judge uh, that put a halt or put a stay on the Muslim travel ban as opposed to taking responsibility for himself. Well, say what you will about Obama, but he never cheered a terrorist attack. He never no. looked at a terrorist attack as an opportunity to further his own agenda. Well, Donald but, Trump wakes up every morning and prays for the deaths of Americans. He well, prays we know that. He prays for a terrorist no. attack. He wants a he terrorist attack. He does want to, feel vindicated, he wants to feel vindicated, I think. He wants to feel vindicated, and the way he will feel vindicated is through a terrorist attack, and a terrorist attack equals dead Americans. Tell I me I'm wrong. Well, I don't think that you're right. We can't have We. I, I don't want to uh, think that the man wakes up every morning and, do, and wishes for a terror attack, but I would say if a terror attack does happen, specifically from a uh, an immigrant uh, from the Middle East area, he will use it to its political gain as much as humanly possible. I we can't say that the sitting president wants uh, to see dead Americans. I right. think that's that a, goes a, that goes a little far. I'll I'll admit well, that it's, that, just, that it's very it's, it's almost it's it's Hannity and O'Reilly esque <laughs> what they were talking about with Obama. Exactly. You, know? you know what? You make a very good point there. I agree with you. That is definitely going a little bit too far. But at the very least, he is looking for vindication. If there's one thing that Donald Trump loves, it's vindication. Yeah, and, and he would be vindicated absolutely. Yeah. So also in this poll, fifty four percent of independents, 82% of Republicans support the travel ban, 65% of Democrats oppose it. So this is where we're really getting that polarizing, you know, this 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 polarizing world that we're living in. And just 34% of Democrats say they want Democrats in Congress to find ways to work with President Trump in order to get things done. Uh, the poll also found 56% of Democrats believe their elected, uh, elected officials should stick to their principles when working with Trump, even if that means blocking all legislation or nominees for government posts. So now we have the Democrats learning from the Republicans, playing simply an obstructional uh, to be obstructionist. And, you know, in my opinion, I want a functioning working government. It's difficult to get a functioning working government when we have so much gerrymandering and so much redistricting. And and these people, like you just said, Marcus, are horrified of having to go back to their daily lives. Uh, and I think we could do away. We need congressional term limits. I would also like to see one term, one six-year term for president, because what's happening now is these people, and they feel an immense amount of pressure, the Democrats, to not give up anything, not give up any ground when it comes to the Trump administration. We have four years of this. They have to do something. We have to have government work in some way, because if we don't, uh, it's a national security issue at the end of the day. And we, 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 everyone is going to be hurt if we can't get these people to compromise on a few things. If Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz can compromise on a few things, I'm sure we can can get other people to compromise on things. That being said, we shouldn't have we don't have to compromise on the Muslim travel ban and and certain other things that he's pushing through. But when it comes down to Gorsuch, for example, Gorsuch He's a constitutional uh, scholar. He is not nearly the worst thing. As, as a matter of fact, he's being touted as the only good thing uh, that Donald <laughs> Trump has done by many uh, for his past three weeks. And so I hope the Democrats don't use up all the all the political capital that they have um, in in you know stopping somebody like uh, Gorsuch because at the again he's filling Scalia's seat. It's really sort of a moot issue at this time. And uh, the next one, the next appointee, will be much more important. So I hope the Democrats are smart and don't they don't use it all up. Um, speaking of which, just really quickly to go back on the Betsy DeVos thing, she has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of 
heat online. People really hate her. She was officially confirmed. It was a 50-50 tie in the Senate, and Mike Pence, the first time a VP has ever had uh, to act in that role, he uh, he made it official. She is now head of education in this country. Okay. Um, and we'll right. be having Molly back to talk about why that's terrible. Absolutely, yes. Molly Neffel, that was a great episode, and uh, we can't wait to have her back. So I think that's pretty much it. We got, just to wrap it up, uh, it's in the courts where Donald Trump loves to be regarding the Muslim travel ban. Uh, they don't believe it's a Muslim ban because it's only 15% of Muslims worldwide, so how could they be a, we're only offending 15% of them. It's not real. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, uh, the religious test on the, on the other side, uh, believing it is unconstitutional. Uh Donald Trump doesn't read what he writes or what he signs. I don't even know if he reads what he reads what he writes. He doesn't read anything. Uh, he he likes to be spoon fed information. He, he likes to he, watch TV. He does, and that's it. He likes to be spoon fed. And actually, if you give him something to read, he will not read it. The, uh, he was watching Morning Joe, and Morning Joe was talking about Steve Bannon, what we were talking about earlier in the show, and how Steve Bannon, you know, is sort of the uh, the the mouse spinning the wheels inside of Donald Trump's mind. Inside of his inside of his skull, and he immediately tweeted not at Morning Joe, but just sort of subtweeted. Uh, I make all my own decisions. I'm a very <laughs> smart person. It's all about it's, it's all about accurate data. You know, everyone everyone who knows me knows I have the best data. I mean, it is uh, it's very interesting. So Bannon, uh, you know, has a much larger role in this White House than previ- uh, previously um, hoped for. Uh, and that certainly didn't go away. When it comes to fake protesters, none of that is real. No. Uh, it would, it would be. I do wonder. Now, I'm not saying uh, fake paid protesters. I'm not saying that unions probably didn't get on their phone and called their union workers and be like, you know, let's go protest. That is, that's democracy. Yeah. Uh, that's not a fake protester. That is somebody who has sure, or, or ch- the churches do it too. The, I mean, the, like Betsy the right did- to life march was was done in the orchestrated in the exact same way that all marches are. The church leaders said, hey, we're going to go protest uh, for life and. And, uh, and for anti-abortion, okay. And the, and the unions and uh, and pro women's groups are like, hey, we're going to go protest. That's that's real, and that's not that's nothing wrong. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the unions, the Betsy DeVos, a lot of that a uh, lot of that uh, pushback pushback came uh, from uh, teachers unions. Oh, of teachers course. Teachers unions organizing yep. and going against her. So yeah, this does happen, but that is still democracy. None of these that's people it. are being paid. I mean, I just can't believe that. I mean, <sighs> the people who are saying that they're paid protesters are the same. People who cannot believe that someone could possibly do something altruistic. They can't believe that someone sure. could possibly use their own free time to do anything besides watch TV. Well, they definitely are uh, doing altruistic things now, and and, that, and that's a good thing uh, for sure. And but uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, concerning that, those same people who think that uh, the protesters, there's no way they could possibly do anything with their free time besides watch TV. A lot of those people, they were admittedly, they work their ass off. They are working oh, class sure. people that can't imagine anybody at the end of the day, at the end of a long day, say at the end of a 12-hour nursing shift, they can't imagine anybody going out and protesting. And and I get that. I understand that. But that does not mean that every single person in America uh, does not have the willpower uh, to go out and protest for something they believe Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And of course, with the paid protesters, again, just want to point out the, the Trump bots, and no one's talking about this in the media, the Trump, 33% of all the, every time you said something negative against Trump and you're, you got called, uh, you know, the F. 
a rhymes with tag word. Um, that um, was it was a one third chance. That was a robot just being homophobic, <laughs> or uh, you know, just trying to be inflammatory because the robots obviously have no feelings. And uh, and you did get that sense when uh, combating them on social media. Mm-hmm. It is kind of terrible to think about. You are fighting a machine that has zero skin in the game. Mm-hmm. They're always win because <laughs> they don't care whatsoever. And of course, once again, we live in a world where Trump. Uh, where Bill O'Reilly, rather, and uh, and the people like him are in cahoots with WikiLeaks, with Vladimir Putin, with Steve Bannon, a.k.a. also that means they are with Saul Alinsky, which is just absolutely fascinating. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Let's see, Marcus, anything else you want to talk about your social media? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, at Marcus Parks for everything, and go follow me on Spotify. I make, two, I make new playlists every single week. That's awesome, and keep on supporting all the shows here on CCR. And uh, yeah, please buy the shirt if you if you want it. I think it's really cool. And yeah, as again, we'll get one with just the logo. And we have a new system, so we can do a bunch of things. We're gonna be doing a I bunch can't of wait. things. Yeah, we've got a we got a Jackie shirt coming out. Oh yeah, that's my name. Woo. Uh, we've got a Don't Come at Me with that T-shirt. That's uh, great. In the big dog style coming out here real soon, uh, and a ton of others. I want to get ones that says Man of the People or Woman of the People. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah. Uh, all right. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel, Instagram at Ben Kissel one. I'm getting a little bit better at it and email me for the dumpster fire chats. I'm going to keep them going as long as people email. Uh, I think they're really good. Uh, they're, and it's really fun to hear your guys' opinions. And, uh, you, so you can find that you can email me at Ben K 721 at gmail.com. And, uh, all right, everyone, we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.